or your pain. Your rage. At some point, it's what you are. And pain despises hope, I know. But Mary's song isn't just hope. We can gather people like us and make sure your angels can't hurt anyone else. But I don't care about anyone else. No, wait. You don't care about anyone else. I care about Mary. Oh, is she your new best friend? Is she your new best friend? I don't know how to do this. This riddle me shit. It's beneath you. Well, uh... No, it isn't. Mr. Burroughs. Mr. Scampoli. You look very fine. I think so, too. Yes, welcome to the Never Afters podcast. The Nevers podcast. Uh, as you know, I am... Mr. Scampoli, that's Mr. Bars. We are here to discuss the Nevers episodes two and three. Tell us who made these episodes, Mr. Bars. Well, episode two, uh, Exposure, was written by Jane Espenson and directed by Joss Whedon himself. Episode three, Ignition, was written by Kevin Lau and directed by David Seno. Uh, and so we see quite the... Uh, Buffy overlap here again for any Joss show with uh, Jane Espenson, obviously uh, closely tied and has written many great things, uh, both with and without Joss Whedon. And David Samal is a director who's also been on Buffy and Angel and a bunch of other shows. The only sort of quote unquote unknown would be the writer of episode three, Kevin Lau, who uh, I won't say he's done nothing, you know, but relatively speaking, um, he's not got the, the, the broadest resume of the bunch, though he is working on the new Game of Thrones prequel show. Um, so that's quite interesting. Um, yeah, this, these, this is who put them together. And we are talking about the episodes two and three, so there will be spoilers for those episodes. If you're listening in the future, we're doing this as the episodes come out, so there will be no spoilers beyond this point because we don't know what happens, but we will talk about two and three. Um, And just as a brief sort of summary at the start, uh, it, it seems to be almost the opposite of what critics have said, just from what I've seen, but I really liked episode two a lot, despite some sort of kitschy, tropey stuff that I think fits in actually quite well. And then episode three... Uh, I didn't love as much. It it felt like real middle of the season kind of stuff. It's not middle of the season, but middle of this batch of six episodes. That's the first half of the season. And uh, I don't know, the pace just didn't feel as good as episodes one and two. Of course, it had a fantastic set piece in it. So uh, still, you know, worth watching. But I wasn't as excited at the end of episode three as I was after one and two. Do you want to summarize any thoughts on these uh, episodes, Jim? I kind of have the same thought. Jesus, excuse me. Uh, I kind of have the same thought uh, that you have on episode three on both episodes in a lot of ways. I don't know what that is. Um, I do think it is fitting that we're discussing them together because they do. They seem to play better. Uh, And maybe I'm just biased because I watched them back to back. Um, (laughs) But it's it's weird because on one hand, there's a thing I've complained about all the time. I yell it at strangers in the street is that TV shows these days stretch out their goddamn plots and they drag everything out. I'm looking at you, Netflix shows, uh, where you take three or four episodes of story and you spread that out across a season. Whereas here, I feel like they've almost done a season of a show in three episodes. 
which mm-hmm. on one yeah. hand I do admire because uh, like they're not wasting time. But on the other hand, like it's weird because it feels like it. it I mean, I don't want to say it feels completely different from the pilot, but it's almost like they made the pilot and then they were like, oh, we forgot to put in this, this and this. Because all of a sudden they're like, the world feels smaller because a lot of these characters have these backstories that they're connected that we didn't know before. Um, mm-hmm. And it's almost like they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, of course, you know, Milady and um, what's her face knew each other. Uh, and of Malady? course, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Malady. Uh, and yeah. and of course, what's her face? <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I have to admit, like, I have to have the list of characters up because I know them all, but I the names I don't keep track of well, all of them. You're talking about Miss uh, True. Yes. Um, well, it, I, it's the wonderful, you know, uh, mating dance of a new television show. You know, we don't have the luxury of like. A Cobra Kai where we've already watched the seasons and now we're going back and discussing it. So like you said, yeah. you know, we're watching this live. So we're still there's so many characters and I know who they are. It's just knowing their names offhand is, is a little tough. Um, but yeah, as you were saying, we find out that they have like intertwining backstories and stuff. I think I think that's kind of inevitable given like we flashed back to three years ago, like what yeah. happened when they all got the powers and it's they're going to be like connected or have interacted and we're going to uncover that as we go i totally feel you on like this feels like a whole season because episode two well in summary uh as you know if you've watched this uh, episode one ends with like oh we gotta find mary brighton um and then like you you expect that to be not the whole season but like at least a couple of episodes she's found by episode uh the end of episode two so i was really happy about that i think maybe watching them not back to back helped in that regard uh because it it sort of paced it out a little bit more it didn't feel like things were just zooming along at breakneck speed um but at the same so episode one and episode two i had the same high level of hype i still have hype obviously but uh i was just season three sorry episode three for me that felt a bit more the pace was a bit off for me and it's off kind of because i don't know you're right it's moving fast but then in episode three i felt like it was moving slow at the same time also somehow so (laughs) yeah i could maybe see that it's just because it's like it's not even just that it's like yes you know amalia and um Malady have a backstory and also Mary and Mundy have a backstory. And then there's yeah. like, there's a Swan and Mundy and that whole thing. And then he, like, um, and even just not backstory. Then we have, you know, uh, Mrs. Um, uh, Mrs. Bidlow, Lavinia Bidlow has maybe a shadowy uh, secret going on. And there's a glowing orb and a ceiling like, uh, again, I kind of appreciate it because it's like there, there's some plot, dudes. We're going, we're going for it. Uh, but I, it, it was like I didn't have enough time to process some of these things uh, for them to hit as hard as they should have. But yeah. then again, I mean, it is only six episodes at least so far, so you know they're not wasting time. I do, I do want to make sure I let you know that I don't. I don't hate that idea. It's just, it was just kind of take, trying to take everything all in when I'm still trying to face, I'm still trying to figure out their actual names right offhand by face. (laughs) 
Yeah, and like to compare it to, say, Dollhouse, again, a show no one really remembers or cares about, but I really feel like Dollhouse Season 1, which was also a Joss Whedon show, it was totally like episodic, slow, nothing can really change. And then Season 2, like, I don't know if it was halfway through or whatever, they find out they don't get a Season 3. So it's fucking plot, 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 plot. Um, And this kind of feels like... Uh, a balance between the two. It's not quite as like zooming through the plot as Dollhouse season two, but it's also not standing as still as Dollhouse uh, season one. So I, I think it'll be like once we get to the end of these six episodes, we'll probably uh, be able to tell better how the pace works. But it's interesting to check in about it now. Um, do you want to go through and kind of we'll summarize some of the story of them? I think we should maybe try to do it a bit faster than usual since we're talking about two episodes, but. Uh, we can still like hit the major things from the major sure. storylines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah. in the in the second episode, it was a lot about how like we're facing the um, you know the effects of the opera uh, climax of the pilot, where because I mean, I, which I really appreciated because yeah. this was like a thing where it does make sense that these uh, touched have been brought to light in a greater way than before. Cause before then they were kind of like in the shadows, people know about them or whatever, but now it's a big fucking deal because one touched uh, did a mass murder. And so they're, they're coming and looting uh, the orphanage trying to uh, show, show off the uh, less offensive touched at this sort of gathering, this sort of charity event or what have you. And, uh, and also, like, the ferryman, Mr. Swan, and his uh, salacious dealings of trying Honestly, to exploit the touched. I kind of can't stand the ferryman and Hugo Swan. I can't, like, it feels like a different show. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like whenever we're checking in with that, it feels like we're all of a sudden on some other show. Is it because it's too sexy and hbo Maybe, and I was going to talk about that because it's so HBO. Like, not just the ferryman, but just, like... <laughs> The, the sexiness and and it might just be because because I mean obviously we're seeing we're seeing these are the same things we've seen in shows like True Blood shows like Game of Thrones obviously so it's not I don't really blame the the creators or the writers of the Nevers it's I I do feel like it's probably like HBO executives are like hey this is HBO like w- w- you know we need to remind people that we get to do stuff like this and I don't have a problem with that or maybe I am a prude but I guess <laughs> partially it's because it is it feels so like a Joss Whedon show that it doesn't it's like in my mind it doesn't jive well yet that you know when they're even even when they're saying like fuck and <laughs> and all of a sudden like and of course uh Malady always has to have her legs open and then, you know, always being like, come hither. Um, so it just maybe it just doesn't jive well because it, it was it's a similar experience to going from Gilmore Girls and then watching Mrs. Maisel uh, oh, yeah. where they started swearing. And then even in like the, pi- the pilot of Mrs. Maisel when like she goes topless, like it, it's, it makes sense. I know I'm kind of like talking about a different show now. Like, it makes sense, but it's weirdly jarring because now it's like we're in a Amy Sherman Palladino show. But then I feel like they didn't keep pushing that, like, as the show went on. Whereas, like, the Nevers, it's almost getting, like, they're like, yeah, sex, right? Sex. You know, and, and it, could you imagine if people had powers? You'd want to have sex with them. You <laughs> So, it, I mean, I don't want to shit on it too much because it would, it's, it, is, it feels realistic. It does feel like... 
especially, you know, people in power and they're playing off of ideas of how, you know, you could other people like you can, you know, look at someone, look down on them, but then you also like sexualize that otherness. So I get where they're going. It's just, it hasn't quite meshed together with the tone of the show yet for me. That's interesting because, yeah, I, I totally understand why you would feel that way, but I haven't really, like, it hasn't felt jarring to me in that way. Uh, like, I find Hugo Swan, like, he's a he's a dickhead, but I, I he, he just has oodles of charisma on the screen to me, yeah. and most of his interactions are pretty interesting. And uh, I like his, uh, you know, relationship with the... Uh, what Augie, I guess, uh, Bidlow, the the crow geek, um, yeah, who like ends up being an investor but doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, it does feel like, you know, uh, not, not gratuitous, but it is. Well, I yeah, think I, it kind. I, I get is. where you're coming from. I think but, it kind of is yeah. gratuitous because when we have yeah, like Amalia and Amelia, however you say it, and Penance, and they're just having like fun banter of like. You know, well, well, how do you do? And it's like, oh, the, the, look at my invention. Ha ha, it's cu- oh, not quite ready yet. And then it cuts to Hugo Swan be like, yeah, and he's ramming a girl. And he's like, so let me see the purple. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and, and that storyline, unless I'm mistaken, it doesn't really uh, advance dramatically. It is one of the things that sort of is an effect of the touched coming more into... Yeah prevalence in society so he's like oh they're a gold mine i'm pretty sure sex already sells i'm not i I guess he's just kind of like fuck it like i this is gonna be my niche um because he he already has a sex club it already seems to do fine business but he's decided that you know this is people are gonna be thrilled by this so i want uh, a hand in this as it were um and he recruits his bro, his his uh, friend to sort of be the official owner. And we see some scenes with him, talk, like Hugo Swan talking to uh, the fucking minister guy. We see some scenes, obviously, in episode two with Hugo Swan as well. But I, I feel like the storyline just hasn't quite gone anywhere, even though we were talking so much about uh, stuff moving quickly. Like this one in particular is still sort of simmering, right? We don't and, really know if it'll be... Yeah, you know, and maybe anything. that's part of it as well. Because it just, it it feels... Cause I'm so on board when we're when we're with like you know Amalia and Penance and the you know the whole X Men of everything going on. Uh, so yeah. I'm like so with that, and then they're not involved yet. I know like obviously things are brewing, and there's gonna be uh, like a collision or something, but it just it feels just different right now. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess we kind of glossed over like this opens up with in a very X Men style with someone's powers, you know, coming coming to pass in public and the immediate scorn that comes along with that and how, you know, what the ladies like. They're, like, even talking about the touched at first and then, of course, she's she makes something float and then she has to, like, run away and even her friend turns on her. Uh, so, you know, there's that going on. Yeah. And, I mean, cutting back a little bit as well to the party, like, I can't help but roll my eyes at, like, where are the ribbons? Like, hey, where are the ribbons so we know who you are? But then also, I guess it makes sense. It feels on the nose, but it also feels real, so. Yeah, I really like this, uh, t- to be honest. Like, yeah, it is a bit on the nose with the ribbons, but uh, it also adds up to me. I like, I know I'm, I'm such a mark 
because I'm so on board with, I'm just going to call him Mr. Crow, even though he's Mr. Bidlow, and like Penance, uh, b- like starting to have their flirtationship and then that getting shut down by society or his aunt being like, fuck you. We, yeah, we're, obviously we let them in the house. We don't want dogs to be, you know, kicked in the street, but you wouldn't fuck a dog. Yeah. And he's like, what, fuck a crow? That's not exactly the dialogue as it went in the show, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I'm such a mark because it's so obvious what they're doing, but I'm also like, this is great. Like, he's secretly got powers and he's flying around in crows or whatever and they're getting closer and then he's like, no, I have to shut this down and then they're going to get closer again later. Uh, so yeah, I'm just well, like, off. Oh, what a mark. Also, I mean, never mind that she's touched. She's also Irish. Ooh. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Yeah, the actor is actually Irish. You know, I watched I live in Ireland. I watched this with my girlfriend who's Irish. We continuously rate everyone's Irish accents uh throughout uh any show that we but that's, watch basically. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. I was going to say cuz no, that's no. actually one of the lines of the dialogue though. I think she actually does say that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's great. <laughs> but never yeah. mind just being touched. She's also Irish. <laughs> Great stuff. But uh, yeah, that's Doyle like, and Angel, actually, which we're also watching. Uh, uh, pretty good Irish accent on him. Actually an Irish person. Oh, I didn't um, know that. No, oh, it's good to know. Yeah. It ties together. It's a, um, it's a Whedon show. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I was very on board with that. Uh, the, the bit you mentioned about the lady who... Dis- well, I don't think she discovers her floaty power, but uh, she uses it in public and is like chased down, finds a poster... The thing I was saying about like predictable tropey stuff, like just because it takes her so long to get to the orphanage, you mm. kind of know that she's not going to get to the orphanage, right? Yeah. Uh, because because like you would just have her show up at the orphanage, like uh, the larger lady who shows up and makes people talk with her powers. But no, she has to have like three scenes or something where she's trying to find this safe haven. She's being harassed and eventually is like captured by this group um, that we've seen glimpses of before. They're lobotomizing her brain and then you know later on in the episode we get a glimpse of her wandering around this huge orb thing that we don't know anything about at the moment well yeah it's just weird i mean kind of staying on that for a second because all i'm thinking is like because they're like wandering around but they're also it's like they're working it's like they're digging or something and i'm just like i think it's classic joss whedon it's like the demon place in Anne. no is that the name of the episode no it is Anne. yeah i know what you're talking about yeah like they're just enslaved, lobotomized people, basically. I don't know. I don't think they'd be the most efficient workers, but I guess for secrecy. But anyway, go on. Well, what that, are you going to say? Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. You have these people with special powers, although I guess it's proven they're not always going to be like great special powers. But it seems like you'd be getting work done much quicker if you somehow were using these powers instead of just these weak women trying to get buckets of rocks, like bring buckets of rocks back and forth. Come on. Yeah, but if I understand correctly what's going on, this sort of specific avenue uh, does not like the idea of these powers <laughs> and is, uh, I guess, lobotomizing them to cut cut off that power. Um, but uh, it's hard to know. I it, I was, even though it probably is predictable looking back, I, I thought it was a great uh, reveal that it's... Uh, Mrs. Bidlow, uh, who's the the bad guy here. I, I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I actually wasn't saying it was a bad reveal or predictable or anything like that. I was just kind of like, I, you know, I'm just getting whiplash of being like this thing and then this thing, you know. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it just it felt like a lot. But I mean, 
who knows? Like, yeah, the lobotomies are bad, but there could be a greater good that she's working for. You don't know. Yeah, uh, I think I think watching them in sequence is actually part of that because when I look at the plot of these two episodes, I'm like, that is a lot of plot to go through <laughs> in like two hours. Whereas I did have like a week and I was so excited after episode two, I was like thinking about what might happen and everything. And so there was definitely more of a padding between them, you know, so I don't have the whiplash effect as much, but uh, I do see where you're coming from there. Yeah. Um, the other big sort of storyline in this episode is obviously Mary, um, who has been captured uh, by Malady. They have some dialogue. Malady is being weird. Uh, on the other side of that, we have uh, Miss True, um, like running around with this uh, detective Mundy. Um, and they're sort of trying to find Mary because he has, has a relationship or ha- had a relationship with her. And obviously we know why uh, the orphanage crew wants to find her. So they have some of that, some character development and what have you, some running around. And then eventually we get uh, a confrontation with Malady and uh, Amalia True. And we find out, as you said, that they were connected before. Uh, and just having just watched it, how would you summarize that? It was based, they were friends uh they were both uh like committed for being crazy like in an asylum or whatever i think and yeah. true got out yeah uh, i mean they take obviously we, with her obviously yeah obviously we don't know some of the details really i mean they keep it very vague i mean because i think it's not even like it's obviously inferred in this episode but then she outright says that she was in an asylum in the ne- in episode three uh when she's mm. speaking to the doctor but then it's also when she's speaking to the doctor in the next episode it's inferred that he's aware of what she's talking about because he's like, you know, some would say you didn't have another choice or something. Um, so yeah, we're very vague on what's going on, but it's just weird because I get it on one hand. I mean, she, cause she has to keep saying like, I I've, I've actually almost forgotten her, which I feel bad about. And it's like, so you didn't recognize her, you know, when you're fighting <laughs> in the last episode, like, I, I'm probably nitpicking with that, but I'm just kind of, it's, it's, I guess it's shown that, you know, uh, uh, Malady does or did, has known who she is basically the whole time, kind of, or at the very yeah. least she recognized her in the previous episode, but Amalia is only just now like putting these together, like, oh, wait a minute, we knew each other. And I guess we're going to have to wait to see how that plays out. It's just, it feels like, and I, I could be wrong. Obviously, I'm not a showrunner. I'm not Joss Whedon. I'm not a pedigree of a Joss Whedon or even a Jane Espenson. Uh, but I just feel like, why wouldn't this have happened in the pilot? You know, is there a reason? Because, um, well, the pilot was already quite busy. I, I uh, again, I, I, I was just totally taken in by episode two. I could see uh, why it would be a bit weird. And I think it is because, as you said, they're talking about, or Malady's like inferring that they were good friends. Um, so you'd think she'd recognize her. Um, I think that might make more sense uh, as we get it flashed back. But Malady's very upset because uh, she feels betrayed by how things played out. And she does basically uh, the Joker thing. Because yeah, or, it's um... like, because first, first when she arrives here, uh, Amalia, there's like, 
almost a video game thing because she's walking and then like fires blaze up from Bonfire Annie, basically telling her which way to go. And there's like a banner saying welcome. And that just feels so video gamey and that it's like yeah. shutting off pads and showing you where to go for the big confrontation. And then it gets really comic booky because she's there and it's literally the thing that the Joker does in having her like having Batman pick between being Batman and Bruce Wayne and has them hanging up there and she has to pick one. And as always happens in that sort of story as well. Like she like, oh, there's always a third path and shoots herself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so or like uh, very green yeah. goblin. You must choose Parker. Oh yeah. Who you are. Sorry, to yeah, be- no, no, you're right. Goblin. The Joker is probably a better comparison, but well, and the other question in this kind of like a little sidetrack here, but I can't tell, and I think maybe we mentioned this when we were discussing the pilot, is the actress that plays Malady very good or very bad? <laughs> it's right there. Like, it's on a knife's edge. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, there's honestly, definitely some, there's some instances where it's like, she, she's, she's rocking it. This is great. And then there's other instances like, yeah. wait a minute, is she great? <laughs> I'm not sure. It's Helena Bottom Carter. Like she's doing Helena Bottom Carter in the same way that Helena Bottom Carter can be really good and also can be way too much. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of balancing there. And it's also like when you're acting like that, it feels like you're uh, like the tone of the show is kind of either supporting you or fucking you because the, the show has to have your back when yeah. you're so out there and acting so crazy all the time. And that's maybe that's maybe the thing that the tone of the show is kind of still finding itself shifting a little bit this way and that. And it's, so it feels in some scenes, like in this scene, the confrontation here where she has to choose and everything, I was totally on board with uh, Malady. And then there are yeah. other scenes with Malady where I'm less like, ah, I'm not as on board. Yeah. The only problem, the only time though, where the show doesn't have her back in my opinion is this whole contraption does not make sense. Cause it's like she, she shoots one, but they're like, they both have nooses on, and there's a pulley in the middle. I feel like if you shot one, they'll fall and then hang the other one. <laughs> or maybe that's the trick. Yeah. <laughs> the pulley was a bit tricky. Yeah, that, that made it a bit more confusing, uh, for sure. <laughs> but the idea being, I guess, they'd hold on to them and not let that person fall. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it was pretty weird of a setup. Uh, and it was pretty clear that she was never going to do one of the two things. <laughs> and then Bonfire Annie kind of turns on her as well. Uh, well, that's what I like, mean. This is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> that was the other thing, like, again, kind of going back to then we have, it's like, we have this reveal that they knew each other. Then Bonfire Annie, for some reason, I'm like, oh, does, did Amalia know this whole time that that was going to happen? Then we have the reveal of the lobotomized and Mrs. Bidlow. I was just kind of like, all right, this thing happened, this thing happened. And I mean, it's good television because these are things you're wondering about for the next episode. Um, Mm. And again, maybe I'm just used to, I've just been trained by some of these bad shows that stretch all this shit out so much that I'm not used to. It's like, oh no, things are happening. We're moving, like get on board or, you know, uh, you'll be left in the dust. Yeah, no, for sure. I think there's a bit of a question there of, of uh, if it, it, is it too fast or are we just like not expecting it to be this fast um, with the pacing? But we'll, well, I guess let's get into episode three because that's kind of it for episode two. And here I felt like the pacing was a bigger problem for me personally. Mm-hmm. We'll get into some of the details, but uh, the episode anyway starts with them trying to recruit Bonfire Annie 
um, because she uh, basically helped them out uh, and she's like abandoned Malady. Um, so they're trying to recruit her. It's kind of like almost going well and they are just hanging out, having discussions and then uh penance gets high on opium because they yeah. burnt like an opium cart and then like uh bonfire annie gets away and, and amalia's like let me get some of that let me get get a puff of that as well and they yeah. just intentionally get high <laughs> and i'm like okay this is weird but interesting i guess uh <laughs> and, yeah so that's the start of it um yeah. and that doesn't really I don't know. It kind of sets things in motion, but not as much as in uh, other episodes. We have sort of this follow-up with the Beggar King is upset because obviously Bonfire Annie was trying to take over his uh, area. We see him, Nick Frost, trying to be intimidating, cutting off someone's mark. Um, and we get a lot of, like, smaller scenes in this episode is what I feel like. We're, we're ki- it's like, it's slow, but also, yeah, I don't know. The, the pace is kind of... It's it's predictable this episode I feel and you kind you, I kind of feel like I know what's going to happen throughout and it's uh, a bit slow so that's probably why I it didn't work as well for me yeah it didn't really come off to me that way I mean but again it just uh, it was more I guess things that I was describing from the second episode where it is like a show I guess it's just things that season one shows do because especially you know, from who knows when the pilot was shot to when they finally actually started really breaking these episodes and then going back to film them. Because even going to the beginning, this back and forth that Amalia has with the doctor, it didn't feel the same as the way they were in the pilot when it was these like small moments just hinting at a relationship. Now it's kind of yeah. like, yeah you know, we fucked and we could fuck again. And then he's like, but I have a wife and this bullshit. I would never do that. And she's like, yeah, but whatever. You're still here. Like, obviously it's not exactly what they were doing, but cause like, even Amalia, like, I don't yeah. know if it's all in this episode. Cause then even later on, she's like, yeah, I fuck dudes. I don't know their name. Doesn't even matter. I beat the fuck out of people. <laughs> <laughs> like, like <laughs> don't get me wrong. I, I'm not against that because like I did mention, I think in the pilot, like clearly they're going for this uh, tortured hero, which every, you know, every good hero has to be a tortured hero. But it's just, it was yeah. just interesting kind of seeing it quickly change a bit. Or at least maybe they were just, maybe they're just spelling it out more than they were previously. Uh, and then I guess while yeah. they're having that happen, one of the girls is like listening. Um, I mean, they kind of go out of their way to show that she's like hearing him. She's like, but it doesn't matter because Amalia's yelling like, I'm sorry, I can't yeah. be gener- enough, generous about being your mistake. Uh, so, but it, I don't know. I didn't love that scene, but it, it just felt different to me than what I thought was going on here. Yeah, I think that scene and like I can't, I kind of feel like I'm contradicting myself because I'm saying that like the pace is slow and then we were just talking about like the breakneck speed of the show and all of that. But it's kind of like, Scene, a scene like that, and I think probably mainly like Mundy's storyline in this, uh, where I have no idea why it's drawn out the way it is, where yeah. it's, we have one scene at first where he arrives at a police station and has a mysterious note to meet in a certain place. And then like a, a while later, he like arrives in a different scene. He arrives to that place, gets a pint, and then they're cut away again, and then cut back eventually, and he, like, has had several drinks and gets a note, and the note just says, like, this is what it feels like when you waste my time, basically the equivalent of a snarky text message, um, and he, he just kind of looks at this guy, and maybe I'm missing something here, because, like, I don't... 
understand gay culture, but yeah. he uh, gets up and follows this guy and Swan is there and then they have a conversation. But that's like three scenes to get there and I don't mind their conversation. I don't mind the reveal that they were in like a relationship or semi-relationship before and Mundy can't accept that he's probably gay and all of this stuff. But I, I just did not understand why we wouldn't start with that. <laughs> like yeah. go directly to that uh, scene because we've seen them interact before. It's not a big reveal that they know each other and have some sort of connection. Uh, so I don't get what's going on with this drawn out uh bit because it's not like those other scenes add anything you know yeah and i don't mind the reveal either but it just feels a little forced like Mm. i guess it makes sense in this like they're they're going for late 1800s so obviously you know they're covering different taboos although it's tough to really gauge it when you know again we keep checking in on these like uh, on this ferryman place where it's everyone's i guess People like to keep their lustily uh, uh, secrets secret and underground, so it does tie in with that. But I don't know. It's like we've seen this storyline before, um, so I just feel like it's fine if they do it, but I hope it's there's going to be a little bit more to it or like an interesting point to it rather than just being like... It's just weird because we go from episode two... And we get this backstory dropped on us that Mundy and Mary were about to be married. She left him at the at the altar, and then immediately we're like, "Oh yeah, this is why she left him at the altar because he's he's gay." But then it's also pitched as it wasn't done in a uh, like for a nefarious purpose. It was almost done in a way like the way the way Swan hints at. It was done in this way to kind of help him in a lot of ways. Yeah, to make him be the the victim of being left at the altar. So it keeps the pressure off him. Uh, so I don't know there. I, I don't want to like poo poo it, but I'm also just not celebrating it because I feel like you want to earn it more. And there should be, there, there should be a, there should be something at play here the way it goes, but we'll see. Yeah. And the whole point of like that whole sequence, obviously the point is really for us to sort of get this reveal, get them interacting and sort of understand a bit more of what's going on. With Mundy, the character I care the least about in the show. Yeah. Uh, and Swan, who I do, I think is interesting and I like almost any scene that he's in. But I, I don't really buy, they kind of hint at a little bit that for some reason, even though he fucks everything that moves, for some reason he like cares yeah. about Mundy or is like upset about this. That is what I kind of don't buy here uh, because... Probably because Mundy is just a psychopath in any scene he's in, in a way that mostly works. But like, generally speaking, like I don't see the huge attraction here. Um, and the point of it is also kind of for Swan to go like, "Hey, I have this leverage on you. I want you to get Mary to tell you what's going on in the orphanage because I care about the touched and I want to exploit them for money uh, and give them a safe haven where they can be hookers." Um, and like. That's all fine. But again, Mary's dead at the end of this episode, so this doesn't really set anything up. Um, And also, we saw Mary kind of digging and trying to find out more before this scene. Um, So she's already doing that, but isn't telling Mundy really details of what's going on. So 
like in the grander plot of things, it doesn't really have a purpose, which is why, again, I don't think I would have re- reacted to this scene if we just started with this scene, like him showing up at the ferryman and this conversation happens. Uh, but because with all the cloak and dagger stuff, I'm like, why so much cloak and dagger when he literally runs like a sex club? <laughs> you yeah. know, he it's he is openly running a sex club. So uh, I don't I, I, I don't know. Maybe well, I'm missing something. I mean, yeah, because it feels like they're trying to reference something where because because the note ends up saying like this is what this is what it's like uh feels like to have your time wasted so Mm. but i don't know what swan's referencing and maybe it's because i'm you know wasn't paying attention or something because it feels like he's doing it as some sort of revenge but whatever and i mean but then he's sitting in the back like why but but he so he does want to talk to him so i don't know (laughs) uh and i mean Um, yeah going with mary like there's multiple times where characters are characters are questioning Amalia's purpose and and I obviously I feel like they're trying to tell us the audience like well what is like what what is her secret like yeah does she, is she really just helping these people to help them or does she also have does she also feel like a war is coming like like uh like uh Lavinia Bidlow believes like is there some some other purpose for what she's doing plus i mean you know, we we know that she has done something potentially to um, put uh, uh, Malady in like her stance where she's at. So I don't know. Like they're, they're, they they keep like hinting at things, and I guess you're maybe that kind of ties into what you're talking about, where it feels like the pacing's off because it's not like they hint at these things and there's much payoff to it. Uh, it just kind of like, it's just more what's, what's to come in further episodes. And then I almost, I forgot about like the, the old men that are also, you know, a villain. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like they're still kind of like moseying about saying like, ha ha, women think they know stuff. We'll show them we're men, which I guess I appreciate because we don't need them to always be the big bad, but it's almost like I forgot they're around. And I guess are they? Yeah. Hint- so I've got. Go ahead. I was gonna say that's Lord Masson, the main yeah. guy uh, out of the old men, and we do see him in this episode for a bit. Uh, the main thing being he's getting a telephone installed, <laughs> and one of the men goes downstairs and sort of hears weird noises from the cellar, and some you know the the uh, the housekeeper shows up and goes like, "Don't go near the dogs; they're rabid." Am I wrong, or is there, like, no payoff to this yet? We just kind of are left to wonder uh, what's going on in there. Yeah, I feel like, at least what I'm wondering, I'm left to wonder, did his daughter not die? And Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Her her daughter being in there was my first thought, and being affected by some, you know, big turn that makes her a werewolf or something you yeah. know because <laughs> yeah, when you when they go down there you start to think like that he's involved in you know obviously exploiting the touched etc but uh i do like that that's kind of because we have revealed that bidlow mrs bidlow is the one who's actually or miss bidlow i don't remember is the one who's running um running that side of the operation i can't they do say that they're like old friends or something uh at the opera i think but it does seem like a separate thing Mm. uh and yeah because there's like i think i'm pretty sure they like pan over to the his daughter's grave and like her year of death and then we see the thing in the basement so it seems to pretty clearly be indicating that yeah it's his daughter down there yeah yeah 
Because um, um, then I almost so the main, got confused. Yep. I'm sorry, I mean cut you off. Because I almost no, got confused. Because then when we cut to the guy, like the the bullet hand guy, I was, I was I was almost like, wait, are we back in that basement? But no, we were just in at a jail cell where he got let out of jail. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a bit confused by that um, as well. Because obviously he attacks at the end there, and it's all supposed to be very full of intrigue and like, who is he working for? Because he was released by the police, who was held by the police, but who exerted the influence to have him released is that answered i don't forget there's so much intrigue that i almost start forgetting stuff yeah one can assume that that might be uh sort of bidlow and her whole operation because uh, obviously the main plot of this episode which we haven't really talked about is the whole them so mary's lost her voice they want to to have her sing into a megaphone so all of london can hear and feel this thing and gather together but she's sort of lost her singing and it only happens when she feels certain emotions um and then they find out about this fake orphanage place where they're luring people as we saw in the previous episode they go there kick some ass i do love this bit it's pretty cool yeah some guy who looks like darth malak from uh, <laughs> the old republic games yeah. uh, is there that's pretty cool um they capture this old lady interrogate her again she gives a really creepy speech about uh, killing her daughter right uh, or son yes. or something no her daughter was... and, and it's it's it, yeah. it gets almost like to parody levels of dark where it's like you know clearly when she starts talking at least in my mind it's like okay we're gonna get to how she killed her daughter and it does and then she's even has to be like and of course the baby within her um, I do like the way it ties in though with the Lucy uh, cause I like the, I mean, it, again, it's, it's grim dark, but the way she found her powers is when she picked yeah. up her six month baby and like what they exploded all his bones broke or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's almost parody, but it, it works. Yeah. I thought, uh, I, I kind of liked it. I, I like that we have this character whose name I forget, uh, the one who is or the prostitute uh desiree oh, yes, yes. she's the one who like gets everyone to pour out their secrets and that's like an interesting thing because you kind of challenge an actor to bring that but you have an excuse like in world for why they would be going on like a long fucking monologue that would happen in a worse show you know they <laughs> yeah. would be doing that on their own but she's kind of there and is making like creating a zone of you're in a worse show and we'll go on a long tar- tirade about this but it makes sense and it's not a bad show um so yeah <laughs> and that ties in as you were saying um, and then Mary, basically, because of this, seeing all this darkness, is like, oh, I'm, I can sing now because it's basically about her feeling fuck, uh, fucked, <laughs> feeling really bad, I think, from what I understood previously. And she feels really bad, feels like she can set this right. So, uh, yeah, then we get to um, uh, the big fucking set piece that we have to talk about. Uh, oh. It's fucking awesome. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Amalia well- True goes to see Miss Bidlow and uh gives her like the evidence and then is attacked and we have the big water fight scene well real quick with mary's choice so i guess the way they're spelling it out is it's not so much that mary now trusts amalia it's just that she sees the group she's more inspired by the group of girls like the way they come together right and at least that's what i'm trying to like read from it because i don't i don't see like a moment where like 
because because earlier she's like trying to grill Amalia on what her thing is, and I don't feel like she ever gets like an answer. So it, is it yeah. is the takeaway just more so she's inspired by the rest of the touch that are there? No, the weird thing is that that scene where she's grilling uh, Amalia feels like it hooks into the storyline where Mundy is trying to get information for Swan, mm-hmm. except it doesn't actually hook into that storyline at all and is yeah. kind of independent of what's going on with Mary. Um, and is Because with Mary, her thing is that she's not able to sing. We've understood that it's kind of connected with when she feels a total despair or whatever, the song can come out of her. And I think that's what she's seeing the reality of the horrors of what some of the other touched have endured. And like this horrible story of the murder and the bit about uh, Lucy shattering her newborn and everything, like seeing all of this actual pain gives her that purpose. Uh, And I, I mean, I, I, saw her as being pretty well integrated from the start of the episode she's there playing and singing music like regular music sure from uh an earlier scene and so on so i i think she was you know on board with what they were doing and just kind of questioning amalia a little bit because the show wants us to wonder <laughs> what she's up to <laughs> yeah uh but yeah anyways so then we we pick back up and she gets first dumped out of her carriage uh off the bridge into the water and yeah i did tweet about this earlier it's one of the coolest fucking action slash fight scenes I've seen in a long time. It's yeah. so inventive and fun and well done. Like, I thought it was fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is. I agree. <laughs> um, uh, they did, like, a breakdown a bit on it. I don't know if you saw, like, the bonus things that they, did, they put yeah. at the end of the HBO shows where they're kind of getting into how they did it. Because, I mean, if you haven't seen I don't know why you're listening to this discussion, but... You know, the the guy's walking on water and she's stuck swimming underwater. And I think they'd even describe it in like the visual effects, like breakdown of it's almost like whack-a-mole where obviously she has to come up for air and then he's just there to like punch her down. The only real cheat they have at one point is it makes no sense. At one point he grabs her by the neck and pulls her out of the water. And it's like, why the fuck would he do that? Except for giving her more of a chance. Uh, that would be my only critique. But it was so cool, and it looked awesome, and then it culminates with when she wraps the chain around his neck, and she falls back into the water, and he's stuck on the surface, and she chokes him out. It was, it was, it was great. And, and again, I think I was kind of with you with, I was watching this episode, but I was kind of like, eh, yeah, whatever. I wasn't like super into it or anything like that. But then when this happened, it like brought me fully back on board with the show. And I was like, oh, this is fucking cool. And this is like some of the potential of cool ass shit they could do, you know? For sure, because this is in episode three uh, out of what will hopefully be a show with multiple seasons. And it's so impressive visually and but more than that, just creatively of this is a world where this sort of fight can happen and we all the stages of the fight and the blocking and everything that goes through it is really smart and like the different things where he takes the chain off when he does that and all the different steps and like just the idea of this guy who's like the actor's like huge and just the idea of someone who is 
unable to go into water and so he carries around a yes. huge chain to sort of fuck with people underwater and they call him the fisherman like he could have like he could be a villain in any comic series and i swear they'll probably make like a comic out of this why wouldn't <laughs> they it just gels so well uh, but like yeah he could be like that and yet he's like killed here in episode <laughs> three or whatever you know he's not the big bad guy of the season this is just an awesome set piece that's uh here propping up uh, episode three i would argue i guess the the remaining question on this is kind of what what what's up with this dude who sent this dude though because obviously he hangs out with the beggar king and i think there's a line in episode one uh where they stop where the beggar king stops the carriage and he makes some joke about oh you can't get this guy into a bath but it's a joke about him smelling but then obviously a few episodes later we're like oh you literally you literally couldn't get him into a bath (laughs) yeah um but i am kind of so so is it the beggar king because i don't think it makes sense that the beggar king sent him i think it would have to be the sort of bidlow organization or what do you think yeah potentially i mean it could almost work if it like i i I think you're right i don't think it is the beggar king if it somehow like in the show they're like now is the beggar king it would almost work because it would somehow they would tie it into how her and Penance were there at the beginning when the opium got burnt up, even though they technically didn't do it. But is he just blaming all of the touched? But I don't think they're going to go that route anyways. I, I think this is going to be tied into whatever the greater mystery is on who killed Mary. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, because I feel like it, like it could have been the Beggar King, but I just feel like the earlier scene with the Beggar King would have had him, had him say yeah. to the guy, go and fuck up them and show them that they can't fuck with my business yeah and then i would have been like yeah i guess that makes sense but now i'm like he is upset at bonfire annie and wants her dead and at this point they haven't even joined forces so if this fight was next episode when bonfire annie has gone to live at the orphanage and hang out with them as she does at the end of this episode then i'd be like yeah it makes perfect sense of course the bear king is like you're all fucking with me i am sick of this and i never got my automated motor car so fuck you (laughs) (laughs) and sends the guy but i just don't see this being uh the reason and this happens immediately after she goes to bidlow and is like here's all the shit i found in the place that you run uh and i need you to fix this so it's just very conspicuous and seems like that would be um that'd probably be it but hey we're we're gonna have to wait and see yeah so uh well i do want to before we get past the one other thing I'm sure someone, they make a joke about it, so they're in on it, but I'm sure someone out there is complaining that she took her dress off under the water. I just want to say, settle down. (laughs) (laughs) Because that happened earlier. Like, they do make a joke about it already. Yeah. um, About her riding up in her under things, uh, and Penance, right, is like, you're allergic to clothes or something like that? Yeah, do you hate dresses? (laughs) And uh, going back and coming up to this scene here, too, like, I think you'd mentioned it on a different oh, when we we're talking about the 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 woman in episode two trying to find the orphanage. If you know the tropes, this is clearly so early for this to happen, for Mary to find her song and they go to the park and the amplifier works and she's going to sing. You know, this is not going to end well. Uh, right. Like that's clearly where we're going. Oh, yeah. Like I watch a lot of tv and i've watched a lot of joss whedon shows and i'm like she's she's probably gonna die yeah and my girlfriend who i watched this with who hasn't watched as like she's not as much of a fucking head case about me about watching every <laughs> tv thing but she's 
still pretty savvy about this sort of thing, but she just looked at Mary in that last scene and was like, uh, yeah, that looks like a great dress to get shot in because it's like <laughs> yeah. pure white and it, uh, like blood is going to show up really well on it. And also, I'm pretty sure Mary has some scene with Mundy in this, right, where they talk and sort of reconcile his being different and like her saying that she's always going to love him or whatever. And you're like, it's a Joss Whedon show. So one of them is going to die. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, with that in mind, I do feel like it's a bit hurried getting to this point where we, I thought the season was going to be about finding her. Right. And then yeah. we found her and then she's dead. And I'm just like, this is almost too fast for me to care. And this is based on nothing. And obviously it's not what they did. And it wouldn't have made sense anyways. But in my mind, I'm half expecting for when she falls over that Mundy's the one that shot her. Like, <laughs> just, mm. <laughs> just because, like, it is something like a bad TV show would do. Because, because again, yeah. like, like you mentioned, it's so telegraphed when they have that like scene together where they're very understanding and loving that you th- like throw something in in the mix. Um, but you know, that's not where they went. It's a it's a handgun guy. But yeah, I, again, it's. In a Netflix show, and I don't mean to pick on Netflix, it's a lot of shows these days, this would be like episode 8 or 10 in a 10-episode series. This would be the finale. We'd spend yeah. this season looking for her, then finally getting her, but once we get her, then it'd be a couple episodes of like, sing already! Why can't you sing your song? And then it would and it'd be like, we need to gather the girls! And it would end in the finale where she sings and then the where the episode ends with um uh all the women showing up at the orphanage and it's like smash cut to black let's go to season two i'm glad they're not doing that it's just that's usually in my opinion where where a lot of shows would do these days yeah and it could maybe be like mid-season right but we're not even mid-season like there's uh, they said that episode six is a good breaking point, like thematically or dramatically for what's where the show has gotten to in that point. And I'm just like, Jesus, it's by episode six, it's going to feel like season three of this show because <laughs> there's so much happening. Like, this is what I would have expected in episode uh, six, really. Yeah. Because as you said, yeah, they they finally like gather all pr- pretty much all the uh, touched in London heard the song. There's men and children showing up at the orphanage and of course bonfire annie lighting it up very cinematically um and it's cool um but yeah it's it's a lot of movement uh which not a bad thing but uh yeah it's kind of hard to care as much as if we actually had the time to get to know these characters through some more smaller conflicts uh, or dramas but at the same time i always complain when things are drawn out so it's yeah. a really weird balance to strike because a lot of joss whedon shows are obviously like episodic uh, and like procedural in a way that there's a monster of the week and then they have that as a thing to complete within that episode um and then also advance the plot and the characters a little bit more and you get to know them a little bit more every episode and here it's like fuck that (laughs) (laughs) which is you know has its positives and and its negatives um i have i didn't really care about mary getting shot to be honest so yeah yeah yeah, it didn't it didn't have that same impact like it just had the impact of like oh okay now like we'll have to see where this goes i have expected monday to be revealed to also be touched they did not go that route Mm. though um, yeah, but I was expecting it, uh, just with the way, cause, cause it's like they, uh, like they specifically mentioned, 
you know, that he wasn't there. And then they had another scene where, like, they mentioned, like, only, you know, when we're in the room, only the touched in the room could hear her song. Like, it just felt like a like something they were maybe going for. But, of course, they didn't. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to the end. Oh. I also have been... Oh, sorry. On. One other thing. Uh, because, uh, you know, I was praising the effects and the, the action and stuff of the fight on water... I have to call out the CGI blood and bullets uh, when Mary gets shot was very bad. Um, please do better. <laughs> I hate, well, I mean, number one, I hate CGI blood. Let's get some real squibs out there. Squibs look great. Love when there's blood and gore. But this was like almost over the top the way her CGI blood and bullet holes were getting ripped through. I, I know it's not important to a lot of people. It's very important to me. And I need <laughs> to call it out. <laughs> Yeah, it felt like the first gunshot you were supposed to be like, oh, no, it's fine. She can be healed by the doctor. And then, like, just to show that that's not the case, she just yeah. gets ripped apart by these bullets. <laughs> and of course, Mundy shoots the guy. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see where this all goes. Um, I have been remiss as well in speaking of my girlfriend. She came up with the Never Afters as a name. <laughs> uh, and then I pitched it to Jim. And that's what we're calling this little podcast, Discussing the Nevers. Um, because I was like the never have I ever's or whatever. And I thought about it for a long time. And I said some of that suggestion to her and she was like, how about the never afters? And I was like, that's way better. And you thought of it immediately. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing. You can find our coverage of the nevers at showswhatyouknow.com. But we also discuss like a million other TV shows there. Um, so please check it out. If you're looking for any more television podcasts at showswhatyouknow.com. Uh, if you have insights into any of the things we complained about or praised, or you just want to share what you think about the never so far, email us at shows what you know show at gmail.com and uh, we'll include your opinions in our upcoming discussions. But yeah, I think we'll we'll probably block it out maybe with another couple of episodes for the next one or see if we go episode to episode, maybe just the finale separately. We'll see because, well, sorry, mid-season finale because, again, there's only six episodes uh, that will be released right now. So we're halfway through that half of the season. Um, and uh, I guess that's pretty much it. Uh, is there anything else we should say, Jim? No, I think that about covers it, and the show hasn't been long enough where we have an outro yet, so thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you.